1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Hello, I'm Digby Jones, and welcome to the first in a special series of programmes all about how businesses, large, small, different sectors, different parts of the country, are preparing for what, with a nod to the big challenge that COVID is presenting to us all every day, is probably the most important and disruptive thing that's happened to business in the last 50 years. Welcome to Preparing for Brexit with Digby Jones. I was Director General of the uh, Confederation of British Industry. I, I was Minister of Trade in the government and I still sit on some. my chair, six boards, and i help other companies with their strategic directions and and some management advice and so i i want in this series to go and meet real businesses real people people facing challenges every day people whose decisions will dictate whether there are people in work or not next year and i want to go to those frontline people and ask how are you getting on are you prepared for january the 1st at the end of transition And what is your business going to look like? How is it going to succeed in a post-Brexit business world? Now each week we're going to take a close look at one sector of the business economy in particular. We're going to talk to small businesses. We're going to look at the three Fs of farming, food and fishing. We're going to look at transport, travel. We're going to look at how you get people and goods across borders. We're going to look at financial services, which is so important to our economy. But I hope you'll forgive me if we kick off this week, given where I come from in Birmingham, with a sector that contributes £191 billion into the UK economy and 2.7 million people every day go to work and have their livelihoods dependent on it. We're going to look at manufacturing. And I'm joined each week by an expert, a friend, if you like, somebody who knows what they're talking about and can listen and then help me provide advice and guidance to these businesses and indeed to all of us listening to this programme. And this week, to look at manufacturing in detail with me is Ali Rennison. She's the Senior Trade Policy Advisor at the Institute of Directors, and she shouldn't be thought of as where her accent comes from. Yes, she had an American dad, but she had a very British mum. Hello, Ali. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much. Nice to be here.
2: Now, you, you obviously talk with loads of companies at the IOD and what a good job they do with that. So what kind of companies are you talking to at the moment all about Brexit?
1: Well, I think in the first instance, because we're cross-sector, which is both I found a blessing and a curse. You have to be both across a lot of issues, both in terms of the the width and also the detail. But uh, really, I think in terms of our membership, what I spend a lot of my time doing is speaking to the heads of companies. So the members of our our institute are basically the company directors, the people running the organizations. And that really expands um, and and closes all sectors, uh, all sectors and none, really. Um, And I think at the moment, really, the emphasis is – Inevitably, on dealing with responding to trying to understand what the new rules coming in are around COVID and the pandemic response. But there is a very keen sort of backwards eye knowing that there are changes coming in at the end of the year. So um, really trying to work work that through with companies, really to make sure that they understand what it is that they need to know, because that's, I think, and, the biggest and, challenge. And,
2: and, and do you find across the piece that they've got their head in the sand or do you find that actually everybody is preparing for it in one way or another?
1: I think there's a it's a question about how you prepare. So it's not a question of head in the sands, but because I think companies for a variety of different reasons, whether it's looking over the last four years at the back and forth that there was um, at the moment with COVID on top of everything else, and also quite frankly, simply because the negotiations aren't concluded. So the detail that you need, we know that there are general top line changes coming if you leave the single market and the customs union, but you don't know exactly what the detail are. So what we're finding is a lot of companies are saying, um, we've done as much preparation as we can do at the moment, without having that detail. And when all that detail is clear, we will adjust.
2: When they're looking at those top line changes, the things that, um, is there a commonality? Do you find that, say, there are two or three things which everybody is looking at?
1: I mean, if, if you could possibly break it down into three that's relevant for, for all businesses, I'd say really make, keeping things flowing, whether that's goods or services. So understanding what the new rules are. Um, that's the big challenge, particularly since some of that detail is not there at the moment, but also making sure that they have everything that's in place to keep in particular goods, because I know we're going to be talking about manufacturing in particular flowing and um, making sure that they have spoken to uh, all of their customers and suppliers about responsibility. That's I call it the liability question and making sure, you know, and your customers and your suppliers know when changes are made, whatever those changes are, what is the division of responsibility? So that's sort of the second big issue. And then I think the third one, really, I hate to say, is is tariffs. I think, um, you know, some people argue about whether it's important or not, but whether we have tariffs or not, particularly, I think, for um, uh, uh, manufacturing, but also the economy as a whole, that's a big difference between having them or not. So I think that's a big question mark around what people are doing to prepare. Yeah.
2: An important part of the UK manufacturing piece is, of course automotive and a little later Ali I want to explore with you the actual figures and stats around that so we actually understand how important it is but I want to take you all to Malvern in Worcestershire and I want to take you to an iconic British brand Morgan cars is in everybody's affection everybody sees a Morgan and and the the little lad comes out in all of us Indeed, I was fortunate enough to do the uh, uh, new Troubleshooter TV series a few years ago, uh, stepping into the boots of the late and the great John Harvey Jones. And if only uh, I could have done it as well as he did it all those years ago and uh, he is of course the person and i still get this thrown at me when i'm around the place people saying oh yes troubleshooter he's the guy who told morgan they hadn't got a future at all uh, if they didn't change their ways well they didn't change their ways and of course frankly they are more successful more iconic and more proud to be a british success story than ever before and i'm lucky today i've been joined by steve morris he's the managing director of morgan based in Malvern, in the lee of the Malvern Hills. I've been there, I've been round the plant. And they've been making cars there for over 110 years. And what pleases me, and in fact, as I say this, my my heart bursts, and that is that Steve joined as a sheet metal apprentice, and he's now the managing director. Every kid listening to this, or every mum and dad with a kid listening to this, just remember that an apprenticeship is one of the fabulous ways that you can get into manufacturing hello steve good
0: afternoon lord digby
2: hi you 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 make a fair few cars
0: in malvern do you not how many are there yeah i mean uh, typically we make between 750 and a thousand cars a year dependent on the model lineup at the time uh but uh, this this last year sort of 800 cars the previous year
2: and of those 800 how many are going out of our ports around the world
0: there's 65 to 70 percent at the moment. That fluctuates uh, again year on year, depending on uh, depend on the uh, what's going on. But typically, 65 to 70 percent at the moment.
2: Um, and of that 70 percent, how many of those? That's what just over 500, isn't it? Five fifty, something like yeah. that. How many of the, how many of those are going to the European Union? Uh,
0: between 55 and 60 percent into the, into the EU.
2: Into the EU. So so a fair bit. And obviously, not every component in a in a morgan is made in britain so what what how many what percentage of a morgan uh, are you bringing in from overseas
0: at the moment, so we're using all BMW power at the moment. So BMW engines come in and we use certain electronics and steering componentry from, from the EU. Uh, and then, of course, on the, on the uh, three wheelers, we get the engines from the States, from the US, which is an s engine. But otherwise, a lot of the componentry is from the UK, uh, but the, the engine side from the EU.
2: In terms of January the 1st coming down the pipe, given that export profile, given that import profile... What have you been doing about
3: it?
0: Well I think that there are a number of things we've been doing uh, and at the moment obviously with, with all of our uh, European dealers we've been talking to them about uh, their profile for the Q1 next year so getting the orders in and and that's a fine balance between ensuring that you're not uh, trying to sort of overproduce and, and fill the channel unnecessarily. Have you, have you been stockpiling at all? No, no, we, t- we, we, we make to order, all the cars are made to order so dealers would be, dealers and distributors globally uh, would be ordering the vehicles. But obviously with the European uh, Union, we've been asking those the, those dealers if they would like to sort of pull up, pull the orders just gently forward into it to ensure that they beat any potential tariffs. And have they been? Yes. yet yeah, yet. Yeah. So we've got the the European. And as I say, it's a fine balance between ensuring that you're not sort of stuffing the channel uh, and, and overproducing where you don't need to. So. But yes, they have been. They've been they've and, been um, with us on that journey. Uh,
2: And have you stocked up on your imported components as well, just in case?
0: Yes, we we looked at, uh, and, and again, there's a fine line between just how much you can do. But we work very closely with BMW and the big suppliers that we do use in Europe. So we've ensured and of course, with with <laughs> couple this with the with the ongoing pandemic and the challenges that we've had, it's been a very dynamic situation with some of the bigger producers closing down actually earlier than the smaller producers. So that's been a challenge in itself.
2: Yeah, I, I found that on loads of businesses actually. The, the smaller ones have really carried on, and uh, and God bless them. You've got yeah. 225 people, haven't you, working for you? Yes, we have here
0: on site in Malvern. Yes, and 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 has that fluctuated over the last I don't know three or four years? Yeah, we've we've very very much so. We've increased our uh, our staff here by about 20 percent uh, over the last sort of 14 or 15 months uh, and and growing the factory we've also taken on we've also invested heavily in the facilities um got a new big R and D uh, research and development department as well to go alongside the factory
2: so I'm, I'm sure that the 225 have all got masks on and they're all however you can socially distance while you put a sports car together but um what what so i i don't belittle that but Let's just leave that on one side. What is what's your greatest challenge as you as you look down a post Brexit world? You're a quality manufacturer, value added. Um, I say that with great respect to COVID. I'm not belittling it, but nevertheless, mm. what would be your greatest challenge?
0: Obviously, the uncertainty that we're all facing um, on completely understanding what it actually means, which is why you, you you prepare as much as you can for potential scenarios. But uh, I think yeah, any any increased Tariffs uh, are obviously impact on the end user, and as a as a a discretionary purchase, become just another barrier to sale.
2: Well, I wish you well, Steve, and and uh, I I constantly think of you and that visit I had. An iconic brand, and uh, I'm just glad you're a British one. Well done, and thanks very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And so let me take you from Malvern, and let's pop across to Warwickshire. And uh, let's go to Stratford-on-Avon. Now, you might think that's quite an unusual place to find a manufacturer, the home of Shakespeare. But there's a a well-known brand of another sort of vehicle uh, there. They're Pashley Cycles. And I have two special places uh, in my affection for Pashley. One is that uh, the first lady who ever taught me to read when I was sort of, I don't know, three or four or whatever I was, two or three, Uh, was Miss Pashley and she was a Pashley of the bicycle fame so it goes back a long way and then uh, in 1998 I got on a bike and I rode it from John O'Groats to Land's End to raise money to keep Birmingham Hospice open and uh, we were pretty successful at that and you know in the whole time the bike never let me down once in fact I only had one puncture and that was on the last morning down in Cornwall and that bike was a Pashley. And uh, they very kindly donated it to me so that I could raise money for the hospice. And to this very day, it's actually hanging on the wall in the uh, Coventry Transport Museum as a, a sign of uh, what a Pashley bike just made just down the road can do. And it's a smaller company than Morgan. It employs just 60 people. And one of them is known in the company as Export Dave. I'm, I'm not joking. It really is David Hawkswood is the export manager at Pashley. Uh, everything to do with getting one of the uh, the bikes out and uh, 15% of them actually go to the EU. And uh, I'm really fortunate that Dave's with me today. In fact, I understand you've just been uh, dealing with a shipment to New Zealand, haven't you? Uh, hi, Dave.
4: Uh, hi, Digby. You OK?
2: Yeah, in good form. And thanks Excellent. for giving us some time.
4: Yeah, sure. No, we've... Uh, we Yeah, we have a... We have a very good uh, customer down in New Zealand, and uh, we regularly ship containers down there to them. So yeah, it's uh, very, very fortunate for us.
2: What does uh, what what does export managers in a in a company of with great respect the this, the size of the business what does it actually do?
4: Uh, to be honest, you know, because because we are we're much smaller than what people think. So it covers many areas, basically, from uh appointing dealers and distributors literally um, through to putting orders on the system to getting payments in to you know even packing packing goods, putting bikes on pallets, and ensuring that you know they all go in a in a container that type of thing basically so you know, it's a it's a wide ranging role, which is uh, which is great, to be honest. You get a lot of variety, and you meet meet a lot of very interesting people.
2: So, Peter, so so uh, someone at the other end who opens their crate and finds that it's a bike with
4: one wheel, you're to blame, are you? Exactly, you've you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah.
2: Now, in in all of this, and with uh, the transition ending, and yeah. you must be looking at it and thinking, oh oh, what are we going to do? How are you specially preparing for it? What are you doing differently?
4: Well, I, you know, it, it's one of those things. You have to, in business, you have to adapt, don't you, and, and go with whatever the uh, current situation is. It's not obviously ideal because nobody quite knows what's going to fully uh, happen, re-tariffs, et etc., et and whether we get a deal or not but essentially we know that there'll still be customers out there who who want to partially bike and uh, we will endeavor to create the the smoothest route we can do for our, our dealers and distributors to get bikes uh, into the into the export markets uh, for them obviously we've got yeah. the the uh, restrictions that we we don't know quite what will happen yet. Obviously, what uh, any duty tariffs that may be applied to um, EU products that we currently fit on our bicycles. Because essentially, being a, a British manufacturer, um, you know we we source locally as much as possible. So, do you, if- do you
2: do the customs work yourself, actually, Dave, or do you get a a firm in? You get a consultant in, or do you actually do it yourself?
4: Uh, no we do um we do it uh, ourselves effectively as much as possible obviously we work with uh with some very good freight companies so we'll do the uh, customs work you know custom clearances et cetera et cetera but obviously we we essentially um provide all the details to the uh to the freight companies on any of our imports or exports yeah. to ensure that the correct duties and taxes are, are paid okay. on them. And, yeah. and, and
2: it, is, that, is that the same for import? Because you, you actually do import a few yeah. components, don't you? You get your, your, your kickstands from Finland, I think.
4: Oh, yeah, well, we um, we do. Uh, essentially, you know, we, we buy um, products from uh, all around the EU. So, let's take like Switzerland, for example. So, uh, we bring in uh, some good quality components from, from them and... Um, but you know we do around the world, so we do. Um, I provide all that information to the uh, freight companies, and in a lot of cases, we uh, we arrange the shipping ourselves as well. So I suppose we're fortunate in the respect that we've been a importer exporter for, for many years. So we we know the the processes. Um, which, which and, I suppose is a key it, given factor. Given that
2: you obviously are an expert in your field of doing that, and you're also dealing with a value-added product, everything that British manufacturing should be, frankly, which is not selling on price but selling on innovation and quality. And
5: it is. Yeah. It,
2: it, you, you, you must, in your experience, have sat down and thought, "I know this is happening. I know Brexit is happening. I better start getting ready." Yeah. When, when, when was that? I mean, was that last week, or well, when you knew you were coming <laughs> on this
4: show, or no, maybe I mean, it was the it, week before? Definitely, because obviously we were all expecting Brexit to happen many months ago. Effectively, so we'd all put in our, our you know, ensuring that we got a, all the boxes ticked. Effectively, um, that we got our com- commodity codes all lined up. We we got know which. Um, trade companies we'd and, be using to do our how long ago was that was that a year oh, ago or? Yeah, about a year ago. Um, so yeah. you know, we're all yeah. signed up, we've got our ERE numbers all in place, we've got a deferment accounts. And it's just uh, it's just the um, how those things will, will come in. Obviously for us we're just um, looking as a as a business as to what the, yeah. you know, extra costs it may add to our product.
2: Yeah, and, I, I, and I, wish you, I wish you well with it And I, and, uh, I think of those days Sitting on my uh, passionately bike Coming down from John O'Groatsan's end With great affection So you keep yeah. flying the flag, mate And, and thank no. you very much indeed Thank you, Dave no. Thank you Well, Ali, what did you think of that? We've got uh, two iconic brands We've got one on four wheels, <laughs> one on two uh, In fact, Morgan make a, 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 tree, a three-wheeler too So we've got two, three and four yeah. wheels What do you think of that?
1: I think, in terms of what they had to say about planning for the end of the year, their ability to plan for the end of the year, it just um, it, it really came across that they're basically saying, "Look, we've done as much as we can do." without knowing what the final detail is going to be. We've, you know, the, your, your second sort of guest, we have have our EORI number. That's basically the economic operator number you have. Just That's the bare minimum that you have to do to be able to trade as a basically not part of the EU with the EU after after the end of the year. But I think what came across to me was them basically saying, it's not in our in-trade right now because we've done as much as we can do, but until we have, and I think what the, your second guest said was quite interesting, he said, we've done our EORI number. We, um, we work with uh, logistics and freight companies. We're basically waiting to know exactly how it's all going to fit together to take action. And I think that's to me what comes across is that, you know, I think without having that deal in place, there's only so much preparation you can actually do. So I think they're pretty representative of most companies, you know, barring people who say we've relocated and opened up an office in the U- in, in Europe to make sure that we can continue to not have to double test products in case we don't have a deal, for example. But, you know, that's not a financial option for a lot of um, particularly smaller companies um, in supply um, chain um, as well. Um,
2: do you, do you, I, one thing I, I sort of took from both of them is that they... Uh, almost, it was almost took for granted that they were doing this for some time you know they hadn't started last week I teased him about no. did you know you yeah. were going to do it when you came on the show but I mean obviously they've been doing this for some time um, do you find in your IOD experience that that is normal or are too many of them waking up a bit too late
1: I think it's hard to compare, you know, where we were, let's say, last year, where I could probably give you a, a more um, reflective answer. With COVID, I think you have a lot more people who are potentially, you know, it, I can only deal with the most urgent item in my tray. And I think that whereas that might have been less of an excuse to not be ready or be starting to get ready last year, I think it's a lot more of a valid ex- um, uh, justification at the moment, because if you don't have all the details in front of you, you're going to, and I thought there was an important word that your first guest used there, adjust. We've got a solid 40 percent, 30 to 40 percent of members of the IOD who say we cannot plan to be fully prepared, quite frankly, because we don't have the detail of what we're changing to. We can only adjust. And so that's that's both maybe that might give the government some cause for concern. But I think it also reflects the fact that they're saying we will adjust whatever you give us. Just we can't focus on it until you have all the detail right there. So I it suppose, depends on your starting that, point.
2: Yeah, the- I suppose there's two things they, they can adjust. Uh, but not completely, yeah. and also they have got COVID on their plate, and and yeah. you know they're only human, and and yeah. the one that'll go into the in-, in tray and wait there is the one that's not of the morning, and the morning is yeah. COVID. Let me let me bring in at this stage. Let me bring in a, a, another one of the manufacturing uh, heroes from the automotive sector, but this isn't one with wheels. This is one that makes things that goes into things with wheels. It's a company called Entech and it makes the polyethylene lead battery separators that go into cars and trucks they're shipped all over the world and uh, the supply chain manager of the business her name is uh, Sam Fuller up from Land, up in Newcastle and it's an absolute delight that uh, she joins me now uh, hi sam hi there tell me tell me a little bit about it tell me tell me where you uh, where you ship these products to okay so
6: as you said um I work for Entech and we make polyethylene lead battery separated materials for the automotive industry. Um, we're based just no, around Newcastle in the northeast of England. Um, and um, the company operates out of three sites, one in America, one in the UK and one in Indonesia. Um, 100% of our product is exported. Um A hundred percent? A hundred percent of everything that we manufacture in the UK is exported.
2: And how many people do you employ up in Newcastle? We
6: have 136 staff here on site. Um, So
2: 136 people make the polyethylene separators and every single one of them earns money for Britain overseas. And what percentage goes to the EU? uh,
6: Eighty percent goes to the EU. And the remaining 20% goes into the Asia-Pacific area, the Middle East, Africa and South America.
2: And, and of the 80%, have you got a major market? Have you got, like, Germany or France or something?
6: It's West Germany is the major market. Or Germany, yeah. as it is now, yeah, my Germany, apologies. Yeah. Where, where,
2: where they make cars, really, I suppose. Yes, yes. What, what, and what do you do as a supply supply chain manager? What do you actually do? Do you have to make sure they get there?
6: Well, yes, It it's really from end to end in terms of my role. So I deal with the importation of the raw materials um, and then work with the customers and the supply chain team um, after manufacturing to ensure that the product gets to the customers in the time that they want it um, and in the quantities that they want it.
2: Yeah. And and so you've got Brexit coming down the pipe, or rather the end of the transition. So how does what you know is coming, how's that involved you and what have you done about it?
6: Well, as a business, um, we've done quite a lot of training um in terms of with the um, the assistance of the Chamber of Commerce here in the UK, um, our tax advisors, we've been monitoring government websites for any personal updates. Um, in terms of Our imports, because they come from all over the world, apart from possibly congestion at port, there shouldn't be that much impact in terms of our our imports. We're more concerned, really, on the export side, but we have been proactively working to to try and minimise any impact that could happen to our customers.
2: The guys who buy off you in Germany and and France and wherever, um, are they bigger than you? Are they the OEMs?
6: no they they provide into the oems
2: right right so they're not in a position okay. where they can take additional stock off you and and stockpile in case
6: they are they are actively doing that and they've um they've sought additional warehousing to be able to do that um and as well as, as i think the lady that you were speaking to before we, we obviously have had the challenges of covid to manage um but we are managing to support them with everything
2: that they've requested from us. Yeah, and 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 presumably, if you can sell, um, should we say in advance, make sure that it's stockpiled, um uh, it doesn't hurt you financially because they uh, they're going to buy off you x works, aren't they? They are buying off us on an X works basis. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, so in other words, it leaves your factory gate and you get paid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, can I can I come and work for you, please? That's a wonderful way of doing It is a good
6: company to work for, I have to say. <laughs> In
2: terms of looking at it down the pipe, is there any one thing that you, a question you've got about Brexit that, that other than the, can you tell me whether there's a deal or not? Um, but is there something that you think I wish I could be told this, or I wish I knew this, and where could I get it from? Is there anything you you go to bed at night thinking ah, there's a bit here, there's I've got a bit of a gap here.
6: I think you're right. It is the, the the question on everybody's lips in terms of deal or no deal. But I think um, more the only thing that I would say that is very eleventh hour is the fact of the the documentation that's required to be able to clear customs, both inbound from Europe and outbound from the UK, because there, there hasn't been anything finalised as yet on that.
2: Well, thanks very much, and and good luck and. Uh... And well done. And the fact you're a hundred percent exporter, I, I'm not going to forget you in a hurry. Well done. Thank you very much. Great, sir. Thank you very much. Well, Ali, what did you think about the fact the you know the, the last the last answer actually this thing about uh, the documentation side of life, the forms, if you like
1: the, the calls that I sit on with government day in, day out, week in, week out for the IOD. If I had a nickel for every time a civil servant said, we can't really provide that right now because it's being negotiated. And and I think where that becomes relevant to what she was raising is that simply to say, we know that there are custom forms, let's say, because I'm going to pick that line up. She talked about basically the forms you need to get things in and out. We know that the forms are going to change. We don't know what forms are going to be considered acceptable because that's literally what the detail of the UK and the EU are negotiating. So, for example, the kind of facilitations, if you're trying to uh, cut down on your – Uh, cash flow sort of particularly for cash flow management purposes. There are certain customs facilitations that we don't know at the moment whether they will be acceptable to the EU after Brexit carry on. You know, and I think this is one of the challenges for exporters that maybe importers, you know, if you're an exporter or an importer, you're looking at this very differently. And I have to say it's not just people who trade directly who are going to be affected. If you're an exporter, you're sitting there and thinking, I don't want to lose any, you know, that's the ultimate thing that I want to make sure I don't do anything here that's going to lose my business, uh, that customer's business with me. So some people what we're finding business Businesses are maybe not speaking up as loud as they should to sort of go through all the different scenarios, because effectively, unless they are 100 percent confident in what they are selling, you know, that relationship cannot just be substituted by another continental European provider. You know, you find that they're a little bit nervous about frightening the horses, whereas importers are less worried about that.
0: For Memorial Day, get 15% off your borough purchase at borough.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at borough.com slash ACAST.
2: I'm Digby Jones. I'm former Director General of the Confederation of British Industry, and I'm also former United Kingdom Trade Minister we 're talking all things brexit prep here on the, the first of the series of these programs and we've we've looked at matters automotive and with me is Ali Renison from the Institute of Directors i'd just like one minute on automotive Ali if you could just put the manufacturing statistic into context about how important or not automotive is?
1: Well, not only, I think, in terms of importance to the economy, but in terms of, I think, looking ahead to um, uh, the the end of the transition period. You know, well over half of our uh, manufacturing exports go, car and manufacturing exports go to the EU. And so I think, while they tend to be more diversified than some of the other other, uh, manufacturing exports, it's crucially important, uh, simply because you have a lot of British brands and the consumers in those markets, um, uh, both in Europe and on europe it's a big part of why they they buy from the UK. A lot of people
2: work in automotive, don't they, uh, and, and in the supply side as well as the OEMs.
1: Oh yes, I think. Interestingly, I was looking at some some stats on this the other day, um, and not only is it you know it's not a huge part of the economy, but for what it actually gets out of it, I think the rate of return for manufacturing, not only in terms of the people employed by it, but on average, I was looking to see that the wages of people in manufacturing are on average about fifteen to twenty percent higher. So it's it's not only I think um, punches above its weight. But in terms of how it punches above its weight, it's a big, big time employer. So people tend to have Mm. a lot more skills in some of these sectors than in others. Yes, because
2: an OEM, an original equipment manufacturer, the the names, the names we all know, the car makers, if you like. Uh, But of course, it's the filter down from there, isn't it? It's It's the smaller suppliers, the small businesses, so many of those. Uh, these days, you know, you could eat your lunch off the floor of these places. I mean, they are yeah. high tech so businesses.
1: If you were to take that into account, if you were to take into those supply chain links into account, which is why it's so important. And that's why whenever we hear about sort of potential firm that might go under, you always hear about the supply chain uh, jobs that are that are at risk. So if you were to take those into account, manufacturing is actually responsible for about um, nearly about 16 to 22 percent, almost a quarter of the economy um, and 18 to 27 percent of employment in the UK. So it really does punch above its weight.
2: And responsible for the of so many places of work where lots and lots of small businesses all beavering away employing just a few people maybe one apprentice and so important and smes the small and medium-sized enterprises are so important the lifeblood of uh, of our economy we're going to actually uh uh, have a look at them in detail in uh, another one in these series but I wanted to contrast it right now actually and uh, instead of talking to a bigger business let's talk to a small business but a very very important one and, and let's move it away from wheels and let's get into uh, what you might call uh, really 21st century business and uh, Dr Chris Emsley he's at Fibre Corp. Hello
5: Lord Jones. Thank you so much for joining me uh, just tell me a little bit about uh, what you do. Well, Fibrecore um, develops, manufactures, and sells worldwide highly specialised optical fibres. We span out from Southampton University in 1982. Um, I've been involved since the the very, very beginning. And um, at last count, we we sold in something close to 60 countries worldwide. And in a good year, we're exporting upwards of 98 percent of what we manufacture here so we are hyperactive exporters yeah and and where are you in the uk we're based in southampton so we're just on the northern outskirts of southampton at the southampton science park
2: So we so we we've done Newcastle to Southampton today. That's
5: not bad, is it? Uh, My Uh, place uh, of birth to my place of work. (laughs) How interesting!
2: (laughs) (laughs) And and in your exports that you you go, you know, virtually all of them are going to export. What uh, what percentage goes to the EU?
5: There's between thirty and thirty five percent goes to the EU. Um, and that's been pretty constant for um, certainly the last couple of decades.
2: And then in the last couple of decades, well, before then, of course, a long time before then with the single market. Uh, do you remember, I can remember, you used to have Carnets and queues and all
5: the rest I, of it. I remember very, very well driving around Europe with stuff in the back of the car, trying to get across borders at midnight in the snow with guys not wanting to come out of their little cubicles and then stamping the wrong bits of the, the carne um, when they did. So a mm. big part of me is saying, well, how bad can it get, frankly?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think, you-, you know, when I was... Used to use the phrase that you could uh, you could make something in Birmingham and sell it in Barcelona on a VAT invoice receipt, and I, I uh, that is a single market working well, and um, we don't know, do we, uh, where? This is going to end up in the negotiation, but you would hope that the manufacturers of Europe, not just us, don't want to have their carnets stamped and don't want to sit and stand in the snow either. You would hope this was a bilateral, not a unilateral
5: it thing. It certainly works both ways, and um, that, although we have various plans in place, that is what I'm banking on. And
2: how would that specifically affect you? I mean, are there any areas where you think I'm getting ready for this anyway? I'm 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 ahead of the game. I know what I'm doing.
5: Well, I mean, first of all, we, we've done it before, before the single market. We've got first-hand knowledge of how bad it could get, uh, and I certainly don't envisage a return to those times. Um, in a worst case, uh, word trade organization most favored nation status. Uh, as far as I can see, the tariff on optical fiber for that is 2.9%. So until something better comes along, I can certainly absorb 2.9%, employ some extra staff here at Fibercore House to sort out our large European customers' exports. And um, I I really don't see that being a problem and I only see it being a temporary thing. My biggest concern, to be frank, is is, uh, the confusion and the chaos that is being predicted surrounding um, the New Year. Yeah, you so don't quite know where it's going to end you up. You don't quite know just just mm. how long before that is it going to and start how, impacting. How, how, how,
2: how do you sit there and plan for something you don't know what's going to happen?
5: You can't. That's yeah. what we were saying at the very, very beginning back in 2016. You know, we we, we can cope with anything. UK business, I think, is extremely resilient And uh, provided we we know what, you know, what is happening, uh, I think we're all smart enough and we're all um, inventive enough to find a good way of handling it.
2: Your raw materials which you presumably can't get all of it from Britain, so are you finding a problem with that and are you getting ready for that?
5: My my raw materials bill. Um, ours is a business of of knowledge and expertise. My raw materials bill is roughly eight percent of my selling price. Yeah. Um, so it's not huge. And, and where do you get it from? Uh, all over the world. A lot of the chemicals mm-hmm. come from Japan, for example. Hopefully, the Japan deal will be replaced. Uh, will soon su- will soon be in place. Yeah. Um, we source some of our substrate glass from Germany. And have you been stockpiling that at all? I have six months in stock.
2: Right. And did you always did you always have six months in stock? Or was no, I used to keep about, for the...
5: I used to keep about six weeks.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
5: So we've had we've had six months in stock now since I actually forget when it was the first time we were definitely going to leave. Yeah. but um we we stocked up on all raw materials not just those coming uh coming from europe so, because of the the aforementioned uh potential confusion yeah
2: so if you so 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 in terms of buying and selling from the eu uh ticking the box for making sure that if there were delays, you've got enough pudding in the system to cope with we've the got, delay. We've
5: definitely got enough pudding in the system. And, and to be frank, next week, we'll be contacting all of our major European customers to reassure them of what we what we have uh, in place and uh, to suggest if they are still concerned, they might like to stock up themselves. Chris, can
2: I just thank you very much? And, you know, you're, you're obviously a 21st century business. You're obviously... Something that's really going forward in the what we might call the new economy. So uh, I thank you and I wish you well. Have a have a good Brexit, my friend.
5: Many thanks, Lord Jones.
2: Well, Al is still with me, and uh, so something I've I've noticed through a common thread at the moment is a degree of holding stock, whether it's getting your customers mm-hmm. to hold stock or whether it's you holding stock in from your imports. But they are if there is going to be a delay, businesses seem to be stockpiling a bit, and that presumably at the moment's a good thing?
1: That's, uh, if, if more people were doing that, I would feel probably a lot more relaxed about uh, what scope for disruption there is, or the impact of disruption of the border um, on on traders, because uh, we did some data on this, and, and whereas I think in September last year, we found that basically just under, just shy of a third of, of people who were affected were stockpiling amongst our own membership. Um, this year, or I should say, when we did this in September, this time around, 15 percent said that they had done it now and, and another 15 percent said they were going to do it. And I thought that actually interestingly reflected that, you know, some companies, I think, depending on how much you have to just have no other choice but to, as you said, um, have more more in the putting there stocked up. But for a lot of other companies, particularly the smaller ones, they're so desperate, depending on how COVID has affected them, that not everyone has the same ability of um, resource to to hold stock, um so it depends on where you are on a supply chain, but he 's certainly um in in a position to be able to so probably in a better a better better starting point than others
2: let, let us let us move on and let us move from southampton and and let 's go to my homeland a, a city from uh, in my title and that is Birmingham, born and raised and proud of it and in a way you know everybody always thinks automotive they think cars when they think west midlands but manufacturing and manufacturing the west midlands is bigger it's better it's it's world class in so many areas that have got nothing whatsoever to do with wheels and making a making a car or a truck or whatever and so i want to take you to two um, companies that i have known well all all my adult life um I, i in fact I put their success down to their lawyer that they used. That was was me. And I thought we'd, uh, instead of having a parade between the two of them, I thought we'd uh, have a a three-way round the table of uh, Tom Wesley, Stuart Toe, and and myself. Now, uh, we'll take Tom first. He heads up a group of companies that uh, manufacture all loads of things from uh, sculptures. In fact, I've got one uh, in my lounge at home. Uh, but he does them for Damien Hurst, a bit more uh, famous than the one I've got uh, to uh, protective clothing for our lads in uniform when they go into harm's way uh, they're being protected by something made in Cradley Heath in the West Midlands uh, employs about 250 people in the UK uh, Tom, welcome and, uh, it's, uh, and uh, thanks so much for joining me and uh, just uh, explain a little bit about all the companies and what you do
3: well, there's two divisions really. The principal and the original uh, business is all about a foundry business. So we make, we specialising copper-based and nickel-based alloys. Um, and as you say, that that's the constant. The, the end applications are marine propulsion systems, um, anything that's got to live in seawater, firefighting systems, and of course large bearings for ships. Um, and parts for increasingly for the arts world um, and you know a lot of offshore oil and gas, so it's quite a diverse range of um, end markets the, 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 the constant theme is the special material. The other part of business it is obviously plastics so we, we've got about two hundred and fifty three hundred people, as you say, in the metal business, um, and the plastics business is about fifty people and I
2: think i 'm right, anybody who uh, walks over Westminster Bridge. And sees uh, the, the the house of parliament on the other side, Portcullis House, where the MPs all go. All that black metalwork on that stonework there—I think you did that, didn't you?
3: <laughs> we did. Yes, that was that was an unusual project, but they come up more regularly these days as people want sustainable buildings. So the whole of the yeah. facade at Portcullis House is uh, is bronze. So zero maintenance
2: yeah. and, and very few people will know that that came straight out of the West Midlands it's fabulous let's move, let's move to Stuart uh, and hello Stuart uh, good
7: afternoon
2: Digby hi and uh, Hadley Group is a, a, a wonderful business in West Bromwich and as I was talking matters politic I will just tell the listeners that uh, your registered office is a place in West Bromwich called Downing Street which I always think is absolutely marvellous your vocation was missed my friend and uh, cold rolled st- uh, steel, uh, everything from uh, the, the wire uh, trunking that, uh, the, uh, where the wires go down in buildings, all that trunking that you see in concert halls and, and arenas and car parks and airports, and then also metal framed houses, which uh, uh, will be a new, new way of building affordable housing in the future, which you do a lot of. Uh, how many people do you employ?
7: Uh, 400 in the uk and 700 worldwide with operations in holland in dubai and in thailand and to be uh opening up in the u.s uh hopefully as soon as we can january february
2: and and the export side of it so not the stuff you do in holland but the stuff that you do in in uh britain that you export out of britain is that a lot is it few or what well, you've been hearing a lot
7: about the stockpiling issue, and for us, probably 30% of, of what we produce is export. We bought the business in Holland five years ago with, to an extent, Brexit in mind, because it means that our stock holding, which you've been hearing about, can now be in our European customers' backyard, uh, and they don't have to worry about the channel and the customs issues, if we're increasing our stock levels in in our Dutch business so we've increased warehousing in that particular area but the whole thing I think about this program is to ensure that people are aware of how they can minimize the impact on their customers and continue that relationship as an exporter so that the customers have the minimum of a problem with dealing with a UK company and so what we've all got to be doing as business people is ensuring that we know exactly what we're meant to be doing and what they're meant to be doing. So, getting an EORI number—that's Economic Operator Registration and Identification number, starting with GB—to make sure that you're ready for 1st of January—is really important. And when did you get yours? We, well, we've had ours for some time, but the, the the new GB issues have only been out for the last few months, and. If you want to export from 1st of January, you have to have that number available to make sure that you're registered for um, operation as an exporter.
2: Yeah, and Tom, you must have had your number a long time too. Yeah,
3: have we, we, we've, got, yeah, yeah we have, we've got EORA numbers for, well, in fact, for several businesses. It, it, it's not a bit like the VAT number. It has to be dedicated to a particular company. So most of our companies do export. I'd say the plastics business exports nearly 90% of what it makes. Whereas the metals business, probably 70%.
2: And of those two, Tom, what percentage of those exports go to the EU? About a half in each case.
3: Yeah. About a half the rest of the world, half the EU.
2: Yeah. And, 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 where, when, um, and I know that you, you wish you were never here. I know and I respect your views uh, as, a, as a remainers. but this isn't about whether we like it or not, this is all about planning for something that's going to happen. So in that respect, yeah. when, you, when you were a reluctant um, attender at the feast, if you like, when did you start to say, right, I've got to get ready for this, whether I like it or not, I've got to do it. When, when did you well, start that?
3: Well, day one, I started that. And I was thinking about the implications. But because the problem is, as you said earlier, it's things that you cannot control. Now, my customers, what, 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 what Brexit did, of course, was change the mood music. So all my customers think, oh my goodness, you know, West is no longer going to be in the EU, blah, blah. So so what that has meant is that they have made their own plans and they've started to, in the beginning, in the first few years, they thought we're going to have a deal. everything's going to have a deal, it's going to be fine. Yes, you'll be fine, I reassure them. But now as we cruise towards the deadline and we see no deal, I can assure you we've lost significant business in the yeah. last couple of, well, 18 months, particularly. When, when my customers see it as a risk mitigation exercise, to not be yeah. dependent on the uk in the S- same
2: way what have you done to deal with it because I, I i know right. you very well you well, will not you will not have sat there and put your head in the sand tom so so what have you no. done
3: well, personally i've tried to promote the relationships with individuals in the
2: companies as much as i can and stuart you you will have had your customers not just uh in uh, of the west bromwich facility but also your customers around the world and, and what have you done about making sure that the mood music hasn't hurt your business?
7: Well, the mood music for us is that Hadley's is a global business with operations elsewhere in the world. And if there are significant tariff barriers or problems with documentation, we have undertaken to our customers that we will produce their goods in a place local enough to them to be able to not impinge on our commercial effectiveness as a business so by either holding stock or even moving manufacture if necessary we are guaranteeing our customers that we can continue to operate for them without a problem.
2: Very quickly in one or two sentences each and I've known you all my adult life as I said and uh, I'm full of admiration for your businesses so I, I just want to know if there's one thing that you think you could cover off? If there's one thing you could do in the morning to get ready for January, what would it be?
7: Well, I think again, it's about finding out in business, what are we about? We're about ensuring that our customers get what they want without a prejudice associated with it. So we, are, we want to ensure that our customers can have the same goods that they can have under their current arrangements without any tariff implications or hold ups or other issues. And by doing that, um, we bought the business specifically in Holland to ensure that we could offer alternatives to them. Because let's face it, as it evolves post 1st of January, there are going to be customs delays, there are going to be questions about customs declarations and how you export goods under licence systems into the EU. While we're learning those things about additional marking that we may need, additional labelling that we we may need, VAT at 0% customers' import declarations that our customers may need, while we're learning that, we need to take the hassle away from our customers. Because if they see it as a detriment, as Tom has said, then they will make that decision and you can't afford to be seen as a detriment to them.
2: Yeah. And and Tom, in a sentence, what well, would you we, like to cover we, off?
3: Well, what we've tried to do, and we've been doing this latterly, uh, is to tell them that forget about the tariff, because the tariffs on our products actually are quite modest, 3 4% or something. And the way the currency exchange rates wag around, we, we've tried to reassure them on the basis that, look, forget that. Because you can, if you like, we can absorb that within the currency movements. And because Brexit's been sort of disaster for the value of the pound sterling, i.e. we're depressed its value by about 20% or something, that actually makes that quite tolerable at the moment. And I think customers like that.
2: It's uh, it's good of you to uh, be so frank, both of you, in what you need. Can I just thank you both very much? Thanks for giving your time. And uh, I wish not just the two of you, but your entire employee base so important in uh, my part of the world. Uh, I wish you all the very best. Thanks very much, guys. Bye. Thank you, and uh, Ali is still with me. That
1: was Excellent. fascinating to listen to, and reminds yeah, me well, of conversations I have every day.
2: <laughs> well, I think I think we've been blessed there with, you know, there, there are two people who, if if there was a word that came out for me, it was communication. It was it was the idea that it's what yeah. my customer wants. I'm going to use everything I've got for my customer. What what would you say about that?
1: I think that communication it's a double edged sword in a way, but I think that that's exactly right because it sounds. It sounds so um, lacking in substance, and yet what we're finding is that people some people just don't want to actually have the communication with their suppliers, particularly I would say with their customers because and I think that that even though he's much more ahead of it um, than, than some other businesses might be, um, I, I thought that your guest, who was talking about basically the need to take the hassle away from the customer, that underlines really just no one wants to frighten the horses. And where I think that he's certainly taken that positively and said we're going to try and make sure that we have conditions, conditionalities, and provisions in place for um, you know if things you know if things do sort of get messy at the end of the year. Although he said that continuing question is I think the biggest concern for them that they've had that discussion with their customers and it's not going to jump out of them out of the blue I think what we're finding is that a lot of businesses are sometimes a little bit nervous about actually having some of these discussions so for example inco terms if you don't have them inco terms that sort of divides your make sure that people understand who's responsible for um, paying the duty or for any changes that might arise for example uh, for it for, for tariffs being applied we're finding that some businesses are quite nervous about speaking about these things because again if it just looks like a a hassle and B you don't have all the answer to all those questions you know depending on whether you have something that if you're exporting to europe they can just replace or use import substitution or get from anywhere else you want to make sure that you're not communicating that you're going to be an extra hassle so it's taking you know trying to make sure that for example shipment routes as well have you looked into alternative shipment routes for if things get gummed up at dover can you rely on a different type of port so those are the kind of things that we're hoping businesses are looking at in the areas they can control
2: we're coming to the end of it all and i I, I, I welcome your expert advice on some takeaways. You know, if I was listening to this, and I hope uh, many business people are, and I was a businesswoman somewhere in a small business uh, away from the centres of um, uh, the, the, the the big exporters, what, what takeaways could I have from you as an expert in, in what we've learned today and your views on it all that get me into a competitive position on the 1st of January?
1: My biggest takeaway from it would be trying wherever possible to not only just look at it in terms of pure compliance, but also what is it that I need to do to make myself as competitive as possible in this situation to make sure that I maintain those client relationships. That's the bottom line for me is doing everything that I can to make sure that client relationship is maintained Because for some firms you know you don't need to worry about trade changing yeah. that relationship if you've actually mapped out all of your pinch points of exposure beforehand so having those discussions now not on the 1st of January with your customers and your suppliers
2: and and in terms of getting information getting the the real stuff that i've got a you know a checklist i've got some advice i've got some uh, places i can go Um, uh, I'm thinking Chamber and Commerce, IOD itself. I'm thinking government websites. What what, what else?
1: I think that you mentioned there, not only, I think, uh, cross-sectoral trade associations like, for example, ourselves, the chambers who do some of those actual trade services, but also, number one, I think the the sectoral trade associations are quite important as well because they have some of that really up-to-the-minute, detail-by-detail. The The one thing I would say, particularly for exporters, looking uh, looking at it going forward, there is a tendency for, particularly in goods and manufacturing, to think, oh, it'll be the same from Brussels to, uh, to to Bratislava. Well, actually, it's really worth making sure that you are checking on the ground, not just looking at the right advice written coming out of, let's say, the European Commission or Brussels. Make sure if you're an exporter that you're not only having that discussion with your customers or suppliers on the ground, but also checking to see what kind of approach is the local regulatory or customs authority is going to take. Because sometimes that, if you know to expect that difference, even though in theory it should be the same across Europe, it can be it can stand you in good stead not only for making sure that you know for any disruption that there might be on the ground but also some customs authorities are more facilitated than others so yeah. uh, i wouldn't call it gaming the system but making sure you understand who or, who's more beneficial that can help you reposition and reorient your business in europe to to maximum effect and,
2: and, and nothing nothing forgives you if you don't look after your customer and if you don't stock up a bit on your imports so that uh, you can cope with it that is completely within your own control can I, can i thank Absolutely. you ali you you you've been a star and and you've you've taught me and you i hope given some uh, useful advice and tips to everybody listening but uh, ali thank you trip. very much indeed
1: thank you very much indeed for having me well that's
2: the first in our series of programs uh, we talked about all things manufacturing today i hope you'll join me next time for the next in our series